I'm Paul DeGarabedian, Senior Media Analyst for Comscore with my podcast, Many Screens, Big Picture, and I'm so thrilled today. I have a gentleman that I've known for quite a long time. His name is Carl Gilliard. Carl Gilliard is a multi-hyphenate, as they say, a thespian, a producer, director, a graduate of Michigan State University and a native of Detroit, Michigan, by way of Chicago. Illinois, if you didn't know that already, Chicago's in Illinois. His film and television credits are numerous. There's too many for me to mention in this introduction, Carl. We will get into all that. We'll go through your credits, but thank you for being here. Oh, Paul, man, I'm glad to be here. I couldn't be happier. This is so long overdue. You are the busiest person I know in Hollywood. Here we are in a pandemic. And I bet you're more creative doing more things than ever before. We're going to talk about all of that. But first, I want to hear your story, your, your upbringing. What led you to this incredible career of yours where you do everything? You act, you direct, you write. You're like, there's nothing you can't do. And I found out just a few days ago that you even used to play bass. That's Which right. I'm going to I'm talk to you a little bit about that too. That's right. So <laughs> to me, that is so cool. I'm just really excited to talk to you. How did you get started? What, what, was, what was the formative experience or experiences what, coming up, growing up, that shaped who you are today in the entertainment realm? You know, um, I was born in Chicago, actually, Paul. And um, uh, when I was a little kid, my mom and dad divorced when I was pretty young. And my mom kind of, well, not in a negative way, but she pushed me off on a cousin. And my cousin, about four or five years older than me, he loved sports and he loved movies. And so he started taking me to movies. The very first movie I ever saw with him was a movie called Good Neighbor Sam with Jack Lemmon and Romy Schneider and some other people who you would know, um, William Andrews, all those guys from back in the day in the 60s right. and all these character actors. And uh, really kind of a zany comedy about, oh, you know also in The guy who played Maddox, Mike Connors, he was in it also. Oh, Mike Connors, he's Armenian, actually. Yes, he is. <laughs> and no one knows that, but Kukura I knew that. Ohanian was his real name. I know that because my mom would always point to him on TV and go, he's Armenian, because <laughs> that was a big deal. <laughs> he was one of my house. favorite actors growing up, too. I love so Maddox, and I love that movie. But that movie kind of turned on something in me that I can't describe. I and that was in a movie up. theater you saw it? Yes, I saw it in a yeah. movie theater in Chicago. Mm -hmm. uh, and my cousin, you know, I think my mom was trying to kind of take my eye off of what was going on at the house and to kind of throw me on to him. And he just kind of took me to all these movies. Every Saturday, he took me to see another movie. So that was the first one that I remember. I believe it was made in 1964. As a matter of fact, I found that movie at an Albertsons in a checkout counter and I grabbed it. Really? Oh, I have it right there. I can watch, I watch it every now and then. But this movie has disappeared. I never see it anywhere. It's called Good Neighbor Sam. I became a huge fan of Jack Lemmon immediately. I think he was yeah. my first favorite actor. And uh, from that, he took me to James Bond films. And later on, of course, Matt Helm, Dean Martin, and, and all those films of the 60s, Walter Matthau, Sidney Poitier. And I was a movie rat. I would go to the movies and get there at, you know, 12, 12 noon by myself once my cousin stopped taking me. My mom would give me money. And I would sit there all day long watching the same movie 
over <laughs> and over and over again. And then I would go to school and the kid, the teacher would say, so who wants to talk about what they did over the weekend? I'd raise my hand and go to the front and then tell the whole class beat by beat the movie I saw that weekend. It was terrible for them, but I had a great time doing that. Wow, yeah. I love that, Carl. I did the same thing. I remember there was a, uh, there would be a James Bond marathon. Yes. We're talking about in the early 70s. And like for a buck and a half or something, my buddies and I went and saw that thing. It was like at that time, maybe it was six or seven of them in a row. Mm -hmm. And we wouldn't leave the theater. We love the movie theater. But I love that you would just sit there and watch the same movie over and over. And then you would, in a sense, uh, act out the movie in front of your classmates. So right, this is right. really intriguing to me. Yeah, yeah, and, and and then you know back in those days in the sixties, I think that I'm a, a few years older than you, Paul. I, I don't know about that. But uh, really? I don't know. We'll talk about that later. I yeah, we'll talk about that. Rate. We don't have to bring that. We don't have to talk about that right now. <laughs> <laughs> so, but back in the sixties, this is before they would show movies on television. There was a long time before they would even show like a James Bond film on television. They would just replay them, bring them back over and over again to the movie theaters. That's right. And by the time we got to the mid-60s, 64, 65 or so, they would show like, you know, From Russia With Love with Dr. No. Or they would show Thunderball with From Russia With Love. They would just do, do double features with Bond <laughs> films. And I would yeah. just go and see, every time they bring them back, I'd go see them again and again and again. And I just became such a fan. I mean, at that point, I don't really know if it clicked in my mind that I would work in the industry one day, except for this. If I might digress, one time yes. I was in second grade and I got in trouble and the principal called me to, a, to her office and you know, read me the riot act and finally asked me, she said, what do you want to do when you grow up? And I told her I was seven. I said, I want to be a comedian. Really? Yeah. And I, I never became a comedian. Well, not really. Uh, I guess other people think I'm funny, but not intentionally. <laughs> uh, but I'm saying that uh, that was the first time I actually said it out loud. I was seven years old. But wow. yeah, okay. yeah, and but that, that's because also speaking of influences, TV, the old Red Skelton show, Mission Impossible, Gunsmoke, uh, Mannix, I mentioned earlier. Yeah. Uh, all those shows, all those Irwin Allen uh, shows like Lost in Space and, and, uh, and I mean. Uh, You're uh, speaking my Riley. language right now, Carl. I mean, you know what I'm saying? I mean, just all these things just really influenced me. I just, I yeah. loved it. Yeah, I loved it. So it's TV and movies. It's mm -hmm. just storytelling. Really, if you yes. think about it, yeah. and at a young age, I think it's really interesting how we used to seamlessly, you know, we talk about st streaming today, and people can watch all this content streaming at home, but even back in those days, you would watch your TV shows, and then you'd go to a movie, and it, mm. it wasn't streaming, but in a way, I mean, it was the small screen and the big screen, and I find a common thread with most creative people is that there were that are in this industry or acting or directing writing the common thread is that most people had that formative movie theater moment mm -hmm. some, and you remembered that the movie good neighbor sam and i remember 2001 a space odyssey that my dad oh, took me wow. to see you were deep yeah that well i didn't know what the hell was going on in the movie but i, I, was a little I kid, still but, don't I, I said, what in the heck <laughs> is this movie about? It's really pretty, though. But what are they doing? <laughs> oh, I know. People are still dissecting that movie and trying to figure it out. But that was the movie that, that was the aha moment. Like, oh, my God, look at these stories that are being told. And part of it, too, is just they talk about when you sit in a theater, it, it's like you're, a, you're, you're just consumed and immersed in that experience. Right. And that really is cool. But for a young mind, 
I think a movie, because you're, you're kind of figuring out what is a movie? What is this? How's this different from watching Batman on TV mm-hmm. and then going to a movie theater and seeing James Bond? Mm-hmm. And you're, it's hard for a young mind to process it in a literal way. But I think you absorb it and it informs who you are. And if you have those creative uh, juices flowing that are innate in you from wherever, mm-hmm. it could be somebody in your family from the past that had the same vibe or something going on. I, I just see that in you, absolutely. Oh my God, I, and there's so many, you, you know, you've reminded me of so many things. There's so many influences. I mean, the TV shows, not just the ones I mentioned, like Red Skelton was huge, but also the Dean Martin um, thing he had on NBC with those women, the girls he has had. I don't remember back in the days when, you know, you could do that and not be called sexist. Uh, and uh, uh, Jackie Gleason, and, yeah. you know, and, and then, do you remember the Mad Helm films with Dean Martin? Oh, absolutely. It's uh, the precursor to Austin Powers. Oh, I my mean, people God. think Austin Powers was riffing on James Bond. I think he was riffing. Uh, on both, really. On he both, really. Them too. Yeah. 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 The whole yeah. photographer thing with him being a photographer was definitely Mad Helm. That's right. That's <laughs> right. So, but Mad Helm. So the film that, uh, that just came out, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. One of my and favorites. Remember, no yeah. secret. Yes. So when that came out, and I remember reading in the trade that uh, Tarantino was making this film, I had a visceral reaction of fear because I had seen The Wrecking Crew in one of my favorite movies when I saw it as a kid. I loved The Wrecking Crew. And I remember sharing tapes so well. And when that incident happened with the Manson family, I was shaken to my core as a teenager. So when I saw they were making that film, I just freaked out in my head they made it. Then when I went to see it, I went to see it, but it took a lot for me to walk into the theaters. And when I saw her, and see, I didn't know how the movie was going to turn out. I know they're going to do it. That's right. That's right. But I was like, when they showed the power, when it got to that point in the movie, my mind went back to 1969. And I was freaking out in my mind, shaking in the the seat. Yeah, the sense of dread, right? Because you didn't know. You thought if Tarantino does what he does, the violent scenes, and he recreates the Manson murders, and Sharon Tate is so lovely and amazing oh and God. sweet yeah. and so well portrayed in that film by Margot Robbie. Mm-hmm. You're just, and I think that's part of why the movie works because it's totally, and it, you can't really spoil it now because most people no. have seen it. But, but anyway, I, I get what you're saying. So please continue. No, I just said, you know, that's how, how uh, important the movie business was to me. I was living it in my, uh, my own Chicago 9, 10, 11 year old head even when people died like that, it affected me. It, I mean, oh, so I was, you're saying that that when you you know you love the Wrecking Crew, saw Sharon Tate, and then in '69 when that that tragedy happened to her and the, the other um, people living in that house, mm-hmm. that it it hurt you. It's like a family member, right? Yeah, yeah. And I, and it came back when I just read that he was doing the film, right? And yeah. then when I went to see the film. I was amazed by so many things about it, things I learned about Bruce Lee and Brad Pitt was freaking amazing in this thing. Yeah. And, and so was DiCaprio, of course. But the whole Sharon Tate thing and how they, you know, built up to that point in the movie, I felt myself reliving it in yeah. the moment. In the, that movie did a lot. I was like, wow, this movie here. And it's on, I think, Stars right now. I don't think I'll watch it, but, yeah. <laughs> well, but I'm just saying... You know, you know what you were, you know, it was what's very effective film for me. Very, no, very, very, I love Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And it's interesting what you were saying earlier about going back to theater and watching a movie over and over. Well, mm-hmm. 
because today uh, movies play in the theater and then they, after about three months, they're available on home video. If you want to have that in-theater experience with a movie over and over, you have to go back. I did that. I saw Once Upon a Time about six times. Wow. Also in 70 millimeter in a movie theater because I thought unless they bring it back someday in a revival mm-hmm. or a re-release, and which they did a little bit, they did a little bit later on with some extra footage, I'm not going to be able to have that movie theater experience for that movie ever again. Mm-hmm. So I, yeah. I consumed it as much as I could in that way on the big screen. It was so a fantastic, guess, yeah. fantastic film. I really, really enjoyed it. But it, it also had a, a visceral effect on me personally because it, I relived that point as a kid right. when those murders happened. It was very yeah. really, And I was a huge Sharon Tate fan. I'd seen not just that, but Valley of the Dolls and some other film that she was in. Yeah, as a she, kid. So she was really one of my favorite actors when this happened. She was mm-hmm. somebody who was on my radar as a very young upstart actor. Right. He was. Yeah. Yeah. So it yeah, for example. The whole thing mm-hmm. was shocking, but very well pro- portrayed in the movie by Margot Robbie. What sure a great was. film. But sure it, was. it really does show how important those formative experiences are. And I want to segue a little bit to your your acting career. And then I want to talk more about producing, directing, and, and your current and upcoming projects. But did you, when you first, how did you first get your initial acting job, if you will? What, what was your first foray into professional acting? Or even mm-hmm. if it wasn't professional, it was on stage, it was when you were growing up, how, how did that happen for you? Well, you know, I kind of fell in the business backward, I always say, and it's really true because, you know, growing up in Detroit and Chicago, you know, your parents aren't thinking, hey, hey, Carl, you should be acting. They're thinking about the more traditional careers. And that's what I was thinking about because those were my parents and I left my parents and respected them. So I didn't really see myself in that role, but I kind of fell into it. Um, senior year in high school, uh, I uh, was uh, in a radio and television program and I had a cool voice even then. So I used to do like the radio stuff in my school. And so the drama teacher at my school coerced a buddy of mine who is actually ironically a sound man in LA right now. His name is Patrick Saccone. He's here in LA, he works in the business. But he and I were little good friends in high school. He coerced me to get into this play. And that kind of turned the light on for me as a senior in high school. I had, it hadn't quite hit me yet. Moved to Michigan State University, was majoring in something unrelated to the to theater. And then was recruited by a friend to join a play at Michigan State because they needed some black actors. It's almost like, mm-hmm. you know, retreating a basketball team. Hey, you want to come to this play? We need some black people. I was like, okay, cool. I was like, okay, fine. So <laughs> I, I, I went in and did this play. And then again, the light went on. Yeah. Right after that, another opportunity at Michigan State, same thing, except it was a bigger role. And then when I saw that I can be in a three-act play by a legendary playwright at the time, it was Joseph Walker, who was a River Niger and hold people's attention. I said, oh my God, maybe there's something to this. But it still didn't click even then. I came out of uh, college, got a traditional job working for Eastman Kodak, selling copiers okay. to them. Left yeah. that, went to work for Pepsi-Cola as a sales manager. I'm in Kalamazoo, Michigan, looking at an ad in the paper. They're looking for actors for a play. I said, oh, I think I'll audition for that. Go out, get the lead in that play. End up doing three or four plays in Kalamazoo, lose the job. So, you know, I said, you know what? This is my mind thing. I might as well go to LA and become a professional actor. What's the reason I thought, <laughs> had any idea what I was doing? I think I'll just go to, I was 25. I think I'll go to Los Angeles and become an actor. That's an idea. Anyone could do it. 
Yeah, right. So anyway, <laughs> I, get, I, get, I, I get on in my car, drive across country, and I'm kind of shortcutting the story a bit. Drive to, um, to L.A. Uh, I get married a year later and uh, start working at the L.A. Times. So about three years, I didn't do anything. Sign that in the paper. Play in Inglewood. Start going auditions. Get the lead. So I started doing that, and that leads to relationships and more plays and so forth and so on. Eventually, I get an agent. I go to a, a co-reading workshop with a casting director. It was for, uh, this one was Susan Scudder, who was casting the TV show Hunter at the time. Okay. I go I in. the show well. Yes. I go in, and I, I do this reading with her. She says, oh, that's excellent. Can you come in and read for our people? I said, uh, yeah, I guess I'll come in. I'm still working at LA Times. I go in and say, wow, you're coming for producers. I go in, I book the role. So that was my first major TV role, and I hadn't done anything. I remember being on the set and having this climactic interrogation scene with, uh, uh, the, what's the lady's name? I can't remember the name, who was the lead. I said her name, I would know it. And we'll this, find it. We'll this find big it. cameras in my face, and thinking to myself, what in the heck is this camera doing so close to my face? <laughs> <laughs> I was so nervous. People running around and, you know, lights going off and sounds and people pulling cords. I was totally freaked out. And <laughs> that was my first, I, now I had done soaps before that. And that's a whole, I skipped some stuff, but I had done some under fives and small things on soap operas. But when I did the Hunter job, that was when I realized, oh my God. How did I get here? That has to be pretty amazing to yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. And, and yeah, it was uh, Fred Dreyer, of course, is Hunter. And uh, Stephanie- Stephanie Kramer. That's yeah. what I had the scene with. I had the yeah. scene with her at the end, right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that show had seven seasons. Started in 1984, it's a big show. Yeah, yeah, and, I got it. and the job I had on the show, even though they gave me a high co-star, um, really should have been a guest star because there were people on the show who had guests star billing who had less to do on the show than i had but because it was like my first job i had no credits yeah they 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 kind of messed me up they gave me you know a little bit of money not the same money anybody else got high co i mean it was a high co-star so i was the first name in the co-stars but the role i had several scenes and then i had a climactic scene at the end how what was it like for you to see that for the first time on tv oh it was crazy to see yourself. Did you call everyone? Hey, I I'm going to be on Hunter tonight. Oh, oh my you God. You better turn in. <laughs> a, tune friend in. Of, a friend of mine, <laughs> a frat brother of mine from college, sent me a picture recently of a postcard I sent him when I did the show. I had these postcards all done, sent them out to all my friends, sent them out to all the industry, and in fact, even had a big party at my house. <laughs> well, why did. not? It's a big I deal. Did. Yeah, it was a big deal at the time. It's like hearing so. your song, like musicians say, hearing their song on the radio. Yeah, the first time is just this mind blowing moment. And I'd imagine it and it seems like you booked a lot of lead stuff. It seems like your voice, which is amazing, by the way, helped you as well. Because you're so it's, you have such a distinctive and dynamic voice, your vocal style, if you will. Mm -hmm. And to be on a show like that. And then what happened? What did Hunter then well, I can't, I can't say that it catapulted me to the, to the top, <laughs> obviously. But, 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 you know, I think that what happened was, keep in mind, at the time that I did Hunter, I was still working for the LA Times. I was still, I had a job. Right. So yeah, I was You had a day to, job. 
Mm -hmm. So I was able to just kind of, you know, finesse going on auditions and working and then, which ended up actually funny. I started getting more and more jobs, which led to me leaving the LA Times because I couldn't, people began to see me on TV and it was causing problems in my job. <laughs> so, um, but, you know, back in those days, I did lots of co-star appearances, lots of sitcoms, you know, Fresh Prince, Martin, you know, Family Matters. You have a reel, don't you, that people yeah. can look at, right? Hmm. You have a reel on, on YouTube or somewhere where people can see, I know you've done a lot of commercials. Yes. We'll talk about that too yes. a little later, but I would love to see some of these that's a good thing about YouTube. If somebody has that stuff, you can put it together. You can find old TV shows and things like that. That's probably where I'm the, the least, uh, well, all actors should have a relevant and current reel. And I'm ashamed to say that I uh, do not. I kind of find it hard to even trying to gather the, 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 the cuts these days. It's well, it's a lot of material, right? It, but it then even be... getting it, you know, back in the old days, you could, you know, it comes on, you can have it, you know, tested or you know captured for you and you can have all your all your uh, your material and put it on a reel well today is a lot more difficult for example if you do a show on netflix i have a film on netflix right now so let's say for example i want to get the the footage well you can't cap it's it's hard to it's hard right. to capture footage now you don't get copies of things anymore it's just, right what are you gonna do film it on your phone and then you yeah. get in trouble for <laughs> I guess there's a way to do it and you, know, you can say to the producer can I have my scenes and I've done that and sometimes they blow you off yeah. and they give you stuff so um, I do have a reel that's on YouTube I have a reel that I use but it's, it's old it's not really and know. I think it's really interesting though because it seems to me that you are on all platforms and we, I definitely want to talk about Inception because you were mm -hmm. in Inception with the great Christopher Nolan directing you don't blink movie. though Paul listen I know. When you I watch know. Inception, just get some toothpicks, dude, and you to just me, kind of pop them in your the eyes lead. and don't blink. Because if you do, <laughs> even though there's not that many black people walking through that sucker, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You better be. You better have them tick these toothpicks in. Listen to me. me Without yeah. you, that movie is nothing. I'm telling you, <laughs> it's nothing, Paul. Couldn't tell them that. Anyway, <laughs> I yeah. thought you were brilliant in that scene. Wasn't right? I? Oh my God, I was, I was almost at the cuss word just then. Ooh, oh, you better watch it. Uh, <laughs> um, what I want to ask you though, what is it like to be on a big movie, even if, as you say, in a, in a small role, what's it like? Do you get a call sheet? Do they say be here? Obviously, they got to tell you where to go and where to be. I know all of his movies are shrouded in secrecy. Oh, yeah, yeah. So yeah. what did you get? Like the one side of... of oh, it's hilarious. So with that movie... Um, <laughs> it's kind of funny because you're right so i get an audition from my agent and, and the movie's called oliver's arrow that's the name of the mm -hmm. movie oliver's arrow i had no idea it was chris nolan had no, no idea who was doing the movie so i go to the casting director's office and it was like a um like an improv they wanted oh. to see certain looks of how you would so you over you see something over here and it upsets you you see something over here and it makes you cry it's like it was that kind of an audition so it's okay. All right, cool. So you do it, you walk away. And then I heard someone say in the audition, I heard someone say something like uh, Chris. They were naming him. And I'm like, oh, Chris. So later on, my agent told me it was Christopher Nolan, who I'm a big fan of. Yeah. So I said, oh, that's kind of cool. So about a month later, I got a call from my agent saying, yes, you booked this job and the movie is Inception with Chris Nolan. And then the whole, all the people in the movie, yeah. like, wow, this is crazy. But the character had, 
no lies. Mm-hmm. And I forgot what they called them in the movie. Um, I don't oh, you know. mean the people walking by? The people walking the by, but they, they were all in the movie. Yeah. And, um, and so we had those names. And so mine was the, the lobby one, right? Yeah. And <laughs> as fate would have it, my little look ended up in one of the trailers. It ended up, <laughs> I was like, wow. I was in the movie thing and saw, I said, that's me in the freaking trailer. That's so cool. So, <laughs> and I got that. I, I found it on YouTube. I saved that sucker. I've got my face on the Chris Nolan Inception trailer, because why? Because that's all I need to say, just because. Yeah, you know, you, you don't even need to say anything. We all know why, because you're it's, super cool, man. And because, <laughs> hey, and, and it's me with Chris Nolan and, and, and Leonardo DiCaprio, you know, cocking guns and people running and shooting and stuff. And then there I am walking up an escalator. That's real. I love, by the way, I would argue too that a lot of people who are in movies if they're not in the trailer, they're bummed out. Even if they have more screen time than you <laughs> in the actual movie, they're probably because like, people watch trailers all the time. It's before every movie. They're everywhere. Right. And how cool for you to be oh, in the center great. of that. It was great. I was in another trailer. That happened to me again. I did a movie called uh, Red Eye with uh, Rachel oh, yeah. McAdams. And I'm in that trailer too. I'm like, what is with me in these trailers? I'll take it. <laughs> and that was with, um, oh gosh. My boy passed away, the, the, the masterful Wes Craven. Yes. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I work with Wes Craven. That was really, really cool. Really cool. That's incredible. You're like the trailer guy. We could find you in the. I'm on the trailer with, with, uh, with, with uh, Wes Craven's film and, uh, and uh, Rick and McAdams. Yeah, it's yeah. really cool. Really cool. Yeah, that's great. Well, I mean, I work with some cool directors. I mean, Wes Craven and Chris Nolan. Yeah, and talk Robert about Zemeckis. that. Who are the directors? that you worked with? Oh, uh, I worked with Robert Zemeckis twice. I worked with at Nolan, as you know. I worked with uh, uh, Wes Craven, uh, Thomas, uh, Thomas, Thomas, directed Coach Carter. Thomas. Oh. Um, he was in, he was in, uh, he was in a White Shadow. Yeah, really yeah, Thomas Carter, director. right? Thomas Carter. Yeah. Thomas Carter. <laughs> worked with him uh, and a host of other people. I can't name them. Yeah. Right. I just worked but with a lot of really cool do people. You, do you notice that your process or your, the way you comport yourself on set is different with each director or do you just do your thing? Because I would imagine every director, every set has its own personality, yes. its own distinctive vibe. Some directors like a very tight, quiet set. Some like to take a million takes, <laughs> like mm-hmm. Stanley Kubrick. Right. Others are like Clint Eastwood, where Clint Eastwood famously doesn't yell cut or action he just says okay we're going and then he just says okay that's great kind of a more mellow vibe what is that like for you do you figure that out right away to get the lay of the land and then decide how to approach i just uh i don't want to give you kind of a cliche answer but it's really the truth i just really just go in prepared and as clear and as clean of a vessel that i can be to bring the character to to life no matter what it is so I mean, yeah, sometimes you, you become aware of certain things the directors expect, but, you know, they all tend to be the same, uh, more or less. Yeah, because they have so, that job to do. It's a huge, daunting mm-hmm. task. Right. They have to, all these moving parts. And, of course, they have ADs and tons of people on the set. Everybody is incredible. You can't make a movie by yourself, really. Right. That's, that's really cool. I think, too, I've noticed that you have, because I could talk to you all day, but we we don't have that amount of time. I don't want to take too much of your time. But I think it's interesting how you seem to really 
be an inspiration to other actors. I know you're involved with Bill Duke, mm-hmm. and I want you to talk about the Media Foundation's Youth Media Camp. What's and and also I know you're really um, you're an artistic director and founder of the FCBC Repertory Company, uh, the Drama Ministry at Faithful Central Bible Church. I know your faith is very important to you. Yeah. Talk a little bit about how you give back to the younger generation uh, who are coming up and, and how that manifests itself with, mm-hmm. with Bill Duke and also the, the church as well. Well, that is, uh, you know, that the, the things you're mentioning are all kind of different things, mm-hmm. but they kind of they circle back into a primary kind of a life, a life mission that I have which is to always give back and answer the calls that, that come to me. So whether you are an actor just coming in from town and people often refer them to me, spending time with them, talking about the industry, what I think about it, how to help them guide them to the, their beginning stage of their career, which is always different depending on the actor. And whether it's like at my church where, where that was uh, just an event that the church needed someone to start a drama ministry and it just really became really big. It just, it turned into this, kind of media thing if you go That's to fantastic if, if you go to uh fcbc repertory tv on youtube mm-hmm. they're literally you know a couple of dozen sketches they're they're christian sketches where we take biblical themes and they're comedy and we turn those biblical themes into comedy narratives and they're hilarious some of them have thousands of you know views and have been shared you know hundreds of times and so that was a piece, but that was, it wasn't just me. There were a lot of people that were, that were creating that effort. I just happened to be the one that was kind of helming it, but it was a lot of people that were really very highly talented and gifted, gifted people were part of that. And we also had a theater piece of that too, that we did plays. Like we did, um, we did a, a black version of Steel Magnolias mm-hmm. that, that ran at the uh, Hudson Theater and ended up getting several uh, NAACP theater nominations. So we did that and it did. Oh, that's um, great. The Odd Couple was also done through the ministry. But I left that ministry. I haven't done that for about, oh, two years. I left it maybe, what, maybe, you know what? I left it four years ago, just about four years ago, three and a half years I think years that's ago. really cool yeah. how you want to give back. Oh, it's and very with important. all your experience, you know, it's about being a mentor mm-hmm. to people. And I know the Bill Duke, can you talk a little bit about that? Well, with Bill, you know, <laughs> Bill's, Bill is, Bill has been a very integral part of my life. I mean, I've met Bill back in 94 when I, he directed a uh, showcase I was doing. And then we just kind of stayed in touch over the years. And then in 1998, he had what was called the uh, Bill Duke Actors Boot Camp. This is an, an actor's boot camp for adults. And in this, in this class, Paul, Taraji Henson, Anthony Anderson, Shamar Moore, Monica Calhoun, Lisa Ray McCoy, Wow. All in this class. And Anthony and Taraji had done nothing. They were as poor as me. I mean, they were they were really just kind of starting out and to see what they've become. They they began in that class. And so that relationship with Bill just kind of continued. Then a few years later, he asked if I would help him with his foundation. So I created a uh, a curriculum and a program that was kind of a mirror to that adult program for high school kids, where we teach kids what we call media and financial literacy, where we marry the idea of um, helping them create content, their own content and teams, building their own tribes within the uh, class, 
but also bring in financial literacy experts from different banks to talk about stocks to talk about finances and things like that. It's multifaceted. Yes. And so that's for high school kids. In fact, we were talking this uh, yesterday about maybe bringing that back during the situation and do it via Zoom. I think that'd be a wonderful idea. Yeah. So we've done uh, maybe 15 or 16 cohorts of that class. And uh, most recently in in, uh, conjunction with the uh, New York Film Academy in Burbank. So, yeah, I think by doing that, that's really smart because you know, it is a business, right? It's show right. business. Mm-hmm. So understanding all aspects of it, especially for younger people, you're talking about high school students who must be so thrilled to be learning from you and others involved in this. And Bill mm-hmm. Duke, I mean, Bill Duke is major. <laughs> right. He's director, writer, actor. Yeah. Done a lot of big movies, TV shows. And to be able to have you and someone like Bill Duke who's just an icon, to be able, I mean, these kids must be just, and I don't want to call them kids, but these younger people, they must be so thrilled to be, be a part of that. And I think it's so great that you're, you're providing that. You know what's really funny? A lot of those kids don't even know who Bill Duke is. It's their parents. So when they get there, they have to do a quick study, to find who Bill is. But you know, as you mentioned, you know, Bill is an icon, and um, I have several kind of serendipitous kind of occurrences in my life. And I think that one of them, is my relationship and partnership with Bill Duke that I did not force or create. It just happened. You know, it was meant to be. Yeah. Meant to be. Yeah. You know, you know, you know, he did my, my, well, I'm going to jump ahead, but you no, know, he did, he did my series too. Yeah. I want to talk about that. Uh, yeah. I, and what you got to see, segue. you got to, you got to, you have got to see that episode with him. You're well, telling let's you talk it about is crazy. That. Yeah. I want to segue to that because we're, we have a few minutes left here and I want to, I mean, we could talk for hours, but I want to hit all these highlights. So Carl, I, I love what you have been doing over the years to help younger folks who want to get into acting, writing, producing, directing, the arts, if you will, and entertainment. That's really cool. But I also know that you are a big music fan. Mm-hmm. You are, I, I just found this out about you. I never, it's amazing what you find out about people when you, friends, when you interview them for a podcast, stuff you never knew. Right. I didn't know you played bass guitar and I recently I bought a bass guitar and I'm learning and I told you somehow that came up and we were talking about it and you're like, I used to play bass all the time. Tell right. me about your, your, your life slapping oh, the bass. <laughs> you know, when I was a kid, you know, I thought that I was going to be the next Stanley Clark or the next, you know, fill in the blank Jocko you know, Chris Squire. I thought I was, yeah, John, you know, you know, I was that next guy. And um, I had a friend who was a guitarist who, who recently passed away. And we were really good friends in, you know, in elementary school. And he wanted me to be in his band. So I talked my mother to buy me this Epiphone bass. It cost like $99 in 1971. It's a lot of dough. I was, yeah, I was 13. And, uh, this cat, his name is Dwayne Robinson. He's known as Danny Robinson, but his name is Dwayne. Taught me how to place his basic fingering, that kind of thing. And then yep. later on, I started taking lessons. But he and I and another friend formed a band. And the band played primarily Jimi Hendrix, Grand Funk, Deep Purple, you know, Led Zeppelin, James Gang, just those rock and roll bands in the 70s, a little bit of uh, Frank Zappa. We just played, but a lot of Hendrix. Because, of course, three-person band, it was a bass, guitar, and drums. 
Right. The trio, the right. rock trio is a time-honored tradition. Mm -hmm. And some of the best bands mm -hmm. are, are trios. Yes. So, so you I mean, you know, that. when he was a kid, as a little kid, I used to collect records at 45s. And I've always loved music anyway. So uh, I just, I did that all through high school, went to college at Michigan State and made money, you know, playing behind groups, singing groups, bars, you know, fashion shows that needed backup groups to kind of play behind the fashion show. So that was my whole college experience. And, you know, I just loved music. But then the acting thing kind of dovetailed into that, you know, in the same time frame as something we right. talked about today. And I actually, and I, in my mind, foolishly made a choice that I didn't have to make. And the choice was, it's going to be acting or music. I can't do both, which is a lie. Okay. <laughs> I mm -hmm. find that out now, like 30 years later, because I decided to stop playing bass in favor of, when in fact they could have been something that could have worked together. And I didn't think of That's it. interesting. That seems to me like that would be a piece of advice that people should really uh, take yeah, from, from this. Yeah. Now, do you, I think I asked you this offline before, but if you picked up a bass now, could you get it back? Would it take a while? How do you, is it like I, I've vibe? done I it. I, I've walked in, you know, every now and then I'll go into the guitar center there on Ventura Boulevard and uh, it is gone. I have no dexterity. I do understand the notes still. I know the notes. Yeah. Um, but it's not the same. I think that I have to buy a bass and start literally playing again. Well, let's and, do that. And I might I, do I, that. I think we, what we should do in the meantime, I've got my bass. You get yourself a bass and we'll do it on Zoom. And then when this <laughs> pandemic is resolved or we just be socially distant, we can look at each other and play bass. And I, I think that'd be really fun. Have you ever and, heard of this uh, group called SS, uh, SMV? You ever heard of this group with Stanley Clark, Marcus Miller, and Victor Wooten? Uh, I mean, yes. Those three musicians are at the top. They're at the you middle. know they had a better band. Yeah. They're bass players. And I saw them at the Hollywood Bowl about three years ago. I'm telling you, man, oh, man. If you love bass, that yeah. is the quintessential bass concert. Wait, so it's those a bass trio? It was a, yeah, they actually made one record. I mean, I've heard of each of them, but I didn't realize about this band. As you know, what yeah. I'll text, I'll you know, I'll find something on YouTube. I'll, I'll text it to you. Yeah, I want to see it's that. SMB for Stanley, Martin, and Victor. They had an, they did one album together, and they toured. And I saw them at the Hollywood Bowl. That's and fantastic. it was incredible. Three bass players made the band. Three bass players, the keyboard player, they made the guitarist there, whatever drums, and those three right there. Oh. Oh my God, crazy. So. I'm, I'm buying this record right away. SMV. Doing, I'm doing it. So thank you for that. Yes, but what, And I could talk a lot more with you about music, but I want to, and we'll do that another time because I think yes. we could do a whole entire episode on, on just our music influences, what we listened to growing up, what we listen to now. Mm -hmm. I have a love of vinyl albums and old school way of listening. Yeah, you were telling me that. I like, yeah, I like the big speakers. You know, kids today, they don't listen to the big speakers. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> I had KLHs when I was a kid. Oh, KLH is a, a, a great brand. Uh, my dad had Klitschhorn speakers. Right. They were five feet, and five and a half feet by about four feet wide. Do you still have those? My nephew does, actually. Wow, wow. And they're incredible. They, they blow the roof off the house. I bet they, they would. They were incredible. My, my parents would buy a house, but it'd have to have two corners they would, they would turn down a house. No, nope, there's not two corners. There's not room because they had to go in a corner. These were corner horns at these speakers. Look them up, Klipsch horns, not just Klipsch, but the Klipsch corner oh, yep, horn yep. speakers. Mm -hmm. And so they would say, nope, can't buy that house. My mom was really cool about it. She's like, yep, you're right. You're right, Paul. <laughs> my dad was Paul. 
And uh, so, yeah, I, that's really cool. But I, I love that you play the bass. You played the bass. I think you can get it back. I love that you were, I, I think it, it's part of you, that, that you have an ear for, I'm sure, a musical score within oh, I a movie. Still do, I still do have that, absolutely there. Does that music background come into play when you're oh. scoring or listening or dissecting a score and, or creating? And even, and even, you know, as a producer, this is like this project that I'm working on now is the first project where I had, I have decision over the music. Let's talk so, about that. What, so what is that, this that is something that's very dear, very dear to me in terms of, you know, placing the right music uh, in the right setting, whether it's over the credits at the end, whether it's over the credits at the beginning or the opening sequence, whether it's, you know, during the scene and when it should stop. I, I definitely have a point of view about that. And it doesn't matter if it's right or wrong. I have a point of view that <laughs> but it's is clear as important, about that. Right? Right. It's, it's as so important. important as any other aspect of production is the music. Yeah, and, and even, you know, well, I don't want to jump ahead, but even like the series I have right now, I didn't have a lot of money to uh, bring on a musician to score the thing in, time, in total, but I knew I wanted a catchy theme song. And I okay. knew I wanted the song to have a certain kind of, well, when you stop watching the show, I want you to walk away humming that, humming the horn. Oh, I okay. And yeah. that's what this song is. If you ever watch my show, you'll see that the way I, I position this particular horn, horn uh, ditty and the bass, <laughs> whether you like the show or not, you will walk away and you'll be humming this song. I love, I love well, that's like the good old days. Remember yes, the days right, of theme songs? Right. People have been talking about that a lot lately. And I can name that tune in like three notes on any of those old <laughs> TV theme songs. Yeah. But Let's talk about the series. What are you working on now? What are you most excited about? Let's talk uh, about your latest project. Well, okay. So uh, I do have several films that are on different platforms as an actor. I've got a film on, on Amazon called uh, uh, All Between Us. It's a black romantic comedy. I've got a film on Netflix called Dead Con. I've got another film in some place everywhere. It's called a, it's a, a vampire movie called Vampire Wars. Another film is an urban thing like a boys in the hood type of film called uh 19 summers is an urban uh coming of age type of film so you know that's happening that's out there and, and then i've also got a recurring on a show on bet plus it's called uh it's called uh the family business and okay. it's in its second season it's with ernie hudson and some other folk in that so in fact i was shooting that when this whole pandemic thing went down so oh, okay. I've shot, and the show is still going to come on, but we don't know when it's going to come back to finish the season. But I've shot two episodes, and I think I've got at least three more. So I don't know if they're going to, what they're doing. But right now, I've got two in the can. So that's what I'm doing. And of course, still interviewing and auditioning and get calls all the time to appear in things. But the biggest thing that I'm really excited about, as you know, yes, is two. my very, very small Internet Could digital series, Two Degrees. degrees. Two Degrees. And uh, Two Degrees is available on YouTube for streaming. We got the first five of six episodes that are already up. Maybe by the time this comes up, all six will be out. But either way, if you're on YouTube, go to at Two Degrees, the series. Don't put the number two up. Put the letters, T-W-O, Two Degrees, the series on YouTube or Facebook. And you will see okay. And I'm tell us a little bit about it. What's the premise of your digital series? Well, the premise of it is uh, in <laughs> Black Hollywood, and I am Black in case you haven't noticed, um, <laughs> people tease me all the time. They say, you know, Carl, you know everybody. Everybody knows you. 
So when a friend of mine came to me, he had some resources. He decided he wanted to do something and wanted me to create something that he wanted to work on with me. This is the idea I came up with. So the whole idea behind this show has to do with me dropping in some semi-autobiographical things that are, I think so very self-deprecating. I take the whole series and I literally poke fun at myself. I poke fun at my social media usage. I poke fun at the multiple marriages. I poke fun at, you know, all the things people say about me, I, I take it. I take history in the whole series. And I kind of put inside of that relationships that I have. So in this particular series, I've got all of my actor friends, or not all, but many of them in the show. Some of them are lesser known than others. Some of them are known, if you watch, like Tyler Perry, for example, the first episode I've got, you know, Kiki Haynes, who was on For Better or For Worse for Tyler Perry, and Kent Falcon, and, and Keith Burke, all Tyler Perry alumni. And then in episode three, I've got Michael Beach. I've got Michael T. Williamson and another guy named Aaron D. Spears. And then- You, and, do, you know everybody. Yeah, and You're... then in episode uh, <laughs> four, I've got Bill Duke, Wendy Raquel Robinson, and Kalita Smith from the Bernie Mac show. And two of the Bernie Mac kids are also in the episode. Then in episode six, I've got uh, Sean Blakemore, who's on uh, Greenleaf right now, and, uh, and William L. Johnson, and Kim Whitley, and uh, 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 Daphne Springs, who is a big, huge, da uh, big, huge internet star. This girl's got a couple of million people following her on, on Facebook and on uh, YouTube. So, so what I've done is I've kind of dropped all of these people inside of this world, and we just kind of have fun. So it's, so it's a, art. It's, it's a, Carl. Is it sort of art imitates life in this case? Yeah, it's it is, and <laughs> the response. You know, and listen, I'm not going to sit here and say that it is uh, perfectly produced doesn't have some tech issues here and there or whatever, uh, because the two, the two people who are the tech people on this show don't really know what the heck we're doing really, but we're having fun and we're learning as we go along. And I think the story kind of jumps through and people are having a good time. And I think it's, it, it's really a testament to you because people love working with you and you, you not only know a lot of people, it's one thing to know a lot of people, but most people don't, get everyone they know to want to work with them. Right. Everyone wants to work with you. And I visited the set of two Yeah, you did. You left. You left. Well, you know, those shoots are rather long. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not on that side of the business. Oh, no, like, I know you are. Can't we wrap up in a half hour? What? <laughs> Hilarious. I'm an idiot. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> like, really? And, and I know a lot of people in the business and filmmakers, and I know you get there and, the hardest working people are people who work on movies and television shows. They are up before dawn. They go home after midnight if they go home at all. So my hat's off to you. And I just love seeing this, the amount, the outpouring of support. I think it's really a way that the universe is not paying you back because you don't expect anything, but for all the help you've given young actors, all the things you've done in your life to, like you said earlier, to mentor people, that comes back to you in a really positive way. And I love that. I think that's really, a t again, a testament to you, your personality, you, uh, great things gravitate toward Carl Gilliard. And that's gonna be the name of your next movie or the next show. Uh, <laughs> but uh, we're gonna wrap up here. I just, it, you, where can people find you? I know you mentioned a few of the places, but I know you're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, uh, you have a website, GilliardMedia.tv. Yes. Is there anything else anywhere yeah, else? I mean, we you can know, find you? you know, I'm easy to find. If you know how to spell my name, 
You can find the brother. <laughs> so it's basically C-A-R-L-G-I-L-L-I-A-R-D. Carl Gilliard, all one word. Uh, at Facebook, Carl Gilliard. At Twitter, Carl Gilliard. At uh, Instagram, Carl Gilliard. What else can I say? Perfect. Um, you don't need there? to say you. You've said it all. It's all, and, man. I mean, in the, in the series, is two degrees a series. So, you know, Instagram, two degrees a series. Uh, on Twitter, though, it'd be Gilliard Media to find it on Twitter. Okay. I didn't start a new Twitter for that. Uh, but yeah, Facebook, same I, thing. That's so, great. That's me, and man. Just so people know, make sure you see Carl's. Is it? It's a commercial for a cell phone company. Oh lord! It's, it's the it's the one where you're yelling, but you it you drop the call. Yeah. I'm sure people have seen these commercials. Yeah. Your version of that is the quintessential. The I know other people portrayed that situation, like right. you you drop the call, so you're yelling, and no sound comes out of your mouth. But you have the best one, so look that up for sure. It's That's on YouTube. Brilliant. Can I tell a quick story about that commercial? Too? Yeah, please do. Because you're do. making a point. You're making a, a point that I think is relevant based upon our talk today. So when I booked that commercial, uh, which was you know about a long time ago, maybe 11, 12 years ago, um, I get there and they're shooting like three or four versions of that commercial. And the night before we shot that commercial, I was doing a like a job. I was driving limousines, and it was an Oscar night. So I was up literally all night driving for the Oscars. My <laughs> really? call time was at like seven, eight in the morning. Got up like at four in the morning. So I get to the set. I am tired as all heck. You're I kidding. see the PA walking around. She's got these ginseng uh, vials. I said, give me a whole crap load of ginseng. I said, throw it down ginseng, man. No throwing ginseng down. <laughs> so finally, they do mine last. They do mine. I'm there all day long. When I get to get to mine, it's dark. I was there from the beginning all day. I was beat, but I was I was totally ginsinged up. And I thought <laughs> to myself, okay. I thought this in the moment, Paul. I said, okay, they shot three or four of these spots. I gotta make mine bananas. I gotta make mine bananas. It, I mean, it's and watch be so his, freaking bananas. bananas. So freaking bananas that they cannot hold on to this sucker. They got to run the heck out of it because this black man has gone out of his freaking mind. <laughs> so when it said action, I just went for it. I just went bananas. You saw how crazy I was. Oh, yeah. You, you, the veins are popping out of your head. <laughs> You're like. Head. <laughs> and again, the premise of the, of the commercial is that the call dropped and the, there's, there's sound. And then at the moment when the call drops, Carl says, and we won't drop the call or something like that. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. But there's no sound, but it's all, it's like a silent movie performance. Right, right, right. It's all in the visual and you are just like, you're charged up. I that. went for it like, in the, in the thinking for that was, I, they got to run mine. These other people here, no, no offense, but they running mine, <laughs> I need this money. So that's really, really what I was thinking. And it turned out, this is no lie, I went home, maybe 10 days went by. My, barely in two weeks, that sucker was on the air. I mean, it was fast, and that, that sucker ran like you could tell. You could like tell time by that sucker. They ran that thing, and then the other guy that was there, he and I stayed in touch. They didn't run his ad. They didn't run his. Oh, you just never know. You yeah. go to a job. His did not. His did not run. I remember because we stayed in touch for a while, and his never ran. They ran mainly mine and another girl. It was a girl who they ran hers too, but. I'm just saying the whole moral of the story is, to your point, I said, 
in the moment, I got to get my best performance here. I was tired. I was sleepy. I was irritable. Yeah. And I said, you know what? I got to get my best thing. And, you, and then you get the people out there who want to go home, but they've been working all day long. And they say, okay, dude, you better get this right because I'm tired. So you got the, the, the people in the, <laughs> um, in the crew looking at you crazy. Yeah. So I mean, all that stuff's going on, but it's such a great experience. So that's, that's, that's a really great story. Yeah. It's a, a life lesson that when you, I, probably if you hadn't been driving the night before for the Oscars, that performance wouldn't have been the same. It was the culmination right. of the previous like 24 hours of your life. And you can see, you guys got to check it out. Go find this commercial. It's called uh, technology. So if, if you look up, if you go to YouTube and put up, um, Singular, which is what it used to be called. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's you right. put a singular, singular technology, and you see a black dude with hair. Not the black guy with bald head guy. That's, I had hair then. Then <laughs> it, will, it, will, it will pop up, and you'll see the spot. It's so it's good. Like, I was, like, totally just out of my mind in that commercial. That was a great and, campaign, and mm -hmm, you were a huge was. part of that. I remember just seeing it on TV. But that's Carl. He's yelling at me right now through <laughs> the TV. What's going on? But, Carl, thank you so much. Oh, I, I could talk happy. to you all day. Uh, but we got to wrap up here. But thank you so much for being on many screens. Big picture. I can't wait for us to play bass together. Yes. In person. Yes. When this craziness is over and we can get back to our normal lives and you and I will reconnect in a big way through music. And yes. I think that will be a lot of fun. I look forward to it. So thank you, thank you again for being oh, here. Man. Carl, My the great, pleasure. amazing Carl Gilliard. Thank Don't you, Paul, miss for him. Having me. He's everywhere. I'm everywhere. <laughs> Thank, <laughs> Thank you so much. I'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye, Paul.